breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. This show is a little different because I become the guest, and I'm using my real name, which is Philip Camella. Philip Meriton is a pen name, which I've used to separate my media life and my writing life from my legal career. But on this show, I'm being interviewed by Sunita Pantani about my new book, The Collapse of Materialism, Visions of Science, Dreams of God, which is really an attack upon our scientific materialistic worldview and the need for a new worldview of the mind and of the spirit. So for those who are wondering what I think about all these things, uh, this is what I do think, and I hope you enjoy it. Listen in. Good evening, folks, and welcome to an interview special with myself, Sunita Patani, on Untangled FM. Now, I'm really looking forward to today's interview, um, as I have a personal interest in this topic. And the title of today's show is, of course, The Collapse of Materialism. Um, and today's guest is a practicing lawyer with a philosophy degree, whose mission in life is to expose the fallacies in our current materialistic worldview. He spent 30 years studying the foundational ideas of our current scientific worldview. So I'm really looking forward to get into this because obviously 30 years is a lot of lot of uh, experience there. So I would like to welcome today's guest, Philip Camella. Philip, welcome to the show. Well, thanks a lot for having me. It's great being here, Zanita. Absolutely. Looking forward to getting stuck in. So let's see, Philip. Let's start from the beginning. Now, you're a lawyer. Um, how did you come to write this Book, the collapse of materialism. It all started in college. I was I have a degree in philosophy, and you like to think that everybody has a yearning to know, to know themselves and to know about the world. Uh, I definitely have that uh, very strong. I have a very strong desire to know why we're here, what we're doing here. Is there more to life? And this particular desire has driven me over time to understand the world, to understand what we're doing here, the purpose, to understand our leading thinkers. Are, are they leading us in the right direction? Is our worldview correct? Is there a way to make uh, this a better place, to live longer lives, to be healthier, to have peace? And so this drive that I have to understand the world led, led me to uh, study the world's greatest thinkers, which I believe are the philosophers, which led me to my own conclusions about what's wrong with our worldview. And so I've spent a lot of time reading the leading scientists, the leading biologists, evolutionists, New Agers, religion, and I thought that we needed to put the whole picture together and have a different worldview, a different way of looking at things. And so this book is the outcome of my driving desire to understand the world, put it on a piece of paper, but also make it into an argument that's supported by authority. So if someone thought that I was 
going off the deep end, they could see that um, everything I'm saying has support in intellectual history. Wow, that that's quite a grand mission to take on, really, isn't it? A grand purpose, really, that that you're you're living out. Um, and now, how long did it actually take to to put this all down on paper and to actually write the book? Well, it's just, it's just like anything else, you know. Writing, as they say, uh, good writing is rewriting, but also the book evolved, and that's and and you may have done this yourself with your books or anybody who writes. It's sort of like a jazz musician that's improvising. You know, they'll they'll play a few chords, and that'll inspire them to do something else. And yeah. so the book kept evolving, and as new ideas came to mind, it it got longer, it got simpler, it got deeper. I try to put things in different ways, and so the actual book has taken uh, over thirty years. The but wow. the first draft was about. 20 years ago and since then it's been rewritten you know numerous times and the whole idea as you know is that you could have the best idea in the world but if nobody can understand it it's not going to go very far and so a lot of this and this is where I think my legal training helps a lot of this is trying to make the big ideas approachable you know, I don't. I don't want to write something that is esoteric that that cannot be understood, uh, and I if, I think that's one of the issues that we have sometimes with modern science writers, is that they don't write to be understood, uh, or they or or take specialized knowledge, uh, training to understand, and so you have this this um, combination. Uh, purpose here of saying something that is significant but being understood so that that whole thing took a took a long time and it's just like anything else it's a book that I'll probably continue rewriting the rest of my life and what you know yeah, I'm I, sure there'll be more additions <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping so I mean <laughs> I totally understand um, you know what what you're saying because you're quite right I think you know knowing and having knowledge is one thing but actually putting it in a format that is understandable for everyone to understand um you know that is really quite an art and i wholeheartedly agree with you that you know there's quite a lot written on the topic but i found that even with the research that i've done in the past it has sometimes been quite difficult because it is literally having to decipher and understand what is actually written in the first place um, right so yeah i totally hear what you're saying when, when you say that so in your book, Philip, now you subject modern science to a lot of criticism. What is it about modern science that concerns you the most? Well, the number one problem with modern science is that they have confused the method of science with the content of science. By method of science, I mean the classic scientific method, which is you make an educated guess or an, or an hypothesis, you test it, and then if it withstands testing, it might someday become a theory, and someday it might be established as a fact. That's a scientific method, and nobody is questioning the, the value or the power of the scientific method. But our current science, our current scientific worldview is based upon materialism. Based, it's still based upon the notion that the world is a big machine, that if you break a machine down to its smallest parts, you will understand the machine that at the root of reality is not spirit, mind, but is a little particle, a mindless particle, and that the world comes at us, that the world controls us. So what bothers me about 
the, about modern science is that they have not let go, not yet let go of the Newtonian mechanical model, yet they know that model is wrong. They know it's wrong, but they just can't let go because they think if they let go, they will give way to spiritualism, to religion, to all these strange paranormal things. So they just can't get over this prejudice that they need to have a material world in order to practice science. And that's what bothers me. It's, and that, I think, is what's happening out there is that, you know, there, whether it's tipping point or the point of no return, uh, we're, we're coming to a, an era, I hope, where the scientists will realize they could practice science in a spiritual context or in a, or in a mind-first context and that they don't have to give up their laboratory coats and, their, and, and all their degrees and their professorships. They can still be intelligent, rational creatures. So that's what bothers me. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I completely hear what you're saying. And I think you're right. I think, you know, it'll open the door up to, um, you know, I guess um, extended science almost. I think, you know, it's really opened it up to, to become even more sort of, well, a lot more vast than what it is at the moment. Um, and I think it's important as well because I think, you know, I, I recently did a course in parapsychology with the Edinburgh University. And um, it was really interesting looking at, you know, the experiments that they've conducted. And actually, the, the issues that they had with the methodology that they were using, um, you know, which I'm sure you've, you've read about the idea of the observer effect right. um, with different people producing different results on different experiments. Um, so I think you're quite right, because I think to open, to move from just a materialistic view to something, you know, more open, um, I think could only, I guess, move us in the right direction. So, yeah, I totally hear what you're saying there. Okay, now, other books, Philip, have claimed to unite science and religion. What is different about your approach? The, the, the difference is, is that I think you've got to do it from the bottom up. I don't I think you've got to transcend both science and religion. A lot of people who try to merge the two, they try to they try to keep religion in its orthodox form, frozen in time. In other words, for example, they try to maintain the truth of the the literal truth of Genesis, for example. And they try to find, well that really explains the big bang. Isn't it nice that the that the writers of the of Genesis uh, previewed or preordained uh, the Big Bang. Uh, we try to keep many people try to keep religion and science in their same forms, materialism and orthodox religion or mainstream religion, and try to find some way to sort of force fit them together. What I say, what I do is, I th I think you've got to dismantle the materialistic worldview. You got to take it down, and you got to eliminate the assumptions that we make about the independent material world. And let me be very clear on this: that materialism is based upon the notion that there is a real material world independent of the mind, independent of consciousness, independent of spirit. Wow. That's that's a fundamental assumption. And when you take that assumption away as being unjustified and unnecessary, you wind up having a mind-created world. As soon as you have a mind-created world, there must be one mind, because we all experience, this, experience the same world, 
and therefore we must be the one mind, very much like Hinduism. We are Brahman. It's exactly the same thing. There's nothing real different here. Then we become Brahman, and we are projecting the world, just like the Vedanta said we, we are. And now, now, and then you build a new scientific world with that assumption. And so that's what I, that's really what, what I'm, I'm doing. I, I think you got to tear it down to ground zero and build it up again. You can't, this is not a political compromise. Too many people, we want to make political compromises when we're doing science or philosophy. You can't do it. You got to, you got to do it from the ground up. So where I'm different is I think you've got to, and it's a not easy, but I always say that it helps being right. If, if this is right, that it will remain standing. The truth remains standing. And so therefore, yeah. let's, let's, uh, let's take it down and build it up. So that's, that's what's different. It's very, yeah. it's, okay. it's. So yes. you've briefly mentioned a little bit about materialism there. Why is materialism collapsing? Well, it has it has to collapse, and it is collapsing uh, for a number of reasons. First of all, there are too many signs pointing in the direction that materialism is outmoded and is ready for the dustbin. Quantum theory, which I know you've had other guests on the show talking about quantum theory, quantum theory itself says that there are not things that atoms the that that atoms are not things they're waves they're wave equations there's some strange strange wispy energy field mm. the world is not made of matter and so s somehow even though modern physics studies quantum theory and says it's their best theory they haven't incorporated that truth into their worldview which is that the world is energy is a field it's not a machine that's that's right. point one point two I think that the the parapsychology field is getting more and more credible it's yeah. getting more and more scientific and it's getting more and more uh, undeniable and mm -hmm. as soon as you le as soon as you let parapsychology into the world of science you have now broken down the walls of materialism because materialism, and I use this quote a lot from um, Stephen Weinberg, his book uh, Dream, uh, Dreams of a Final Theory, and, and Stephen Weinberg won the Nobel Prize for the electroweak theory, uh, I think in the 70s. Uh, but he, he says, well, because science cannot detect you know, a energy going from, a pers from one person's brain to another person's brain, in, in like in like telepathy or or mind over matter that therefore those those weird things don't exist but we know they exist we know that they, they there's evidence there's scientific proof that there that parapsychology is real as soon as you start yeah. doing that you break down the walls of materialism the last point I'll make I'm gonna call it the fine-tuning problem which is something that our modern scientists have managed to sweep under the rug uh, and ignore but there's no doubt that we live in a finely tuned universe. And how did random particles manage to or organize themselves to the limit of mathematical order or to such a degree that we're sitting here talking 
um, on this on this radio show. It, there's and that and those are the three big ones. You know, you could throw in the fact that why is it that all of us have this notion of God spirit in our heads? Is that is it? Are yeah. we are we just imagining things? Are we just a bunch of crazy people that we have this idea of God? So all these all these signs, you know, I think are pointing in a direction that the walls of materialism have to come down. We have it has to. So I think we're I think we're getting to that point, and I'm trying to accelerate that process. And that's that's Absolutely. what I. Yeah, sorry, go on. No, no, that's it. That's it. That's it. I just Yeah. I, I have to agree with you. You absolutely um I, I would, you know, definitely one hundred percent have to say that um I I am also experiencing something quite similar in the psychotherapeutic world. Um, you know, the idea that we've also we've always used um behaviorist behaviorism as an approach, um, even the psychodynamic theory, but again it's really looking at things from the outside and okay so when you look at things from the inside it doesn't go really really deep down which is really what you're doing with writing the collapse of materialism you're really digging deep down there and really getting to the getting to the core of things if that kind of makes sense yeah yes so yes which i think is really important because i think that's where a lot of the um the awareness and where a lot of the uh, the answers are going to come from ultimately would you agree yes yes and i i think that you know it's sort of like learning to play the piano or learning to master a computer software program right. or being an athlete you have to you have to go through the pain <laughs> you have to you have to work at it and what i try to do in the book i, I say something like uh hit the pause button here in your busy lives and just take a moment to to, to sit back and question where we're at where where your life is heading and where this world is going because we live in a miraculous place here and we get caught up with distractions with feeding the family with getting to work answering the phone uh shopping and all these things and pretty soon it's you know we, you know we get older and say well what happened you know socrates said the unexamined life was not worth living and and so what i'm what i'm trying to do is to say take a step back we're going to go to the bottom of this we're going to get to the core and the only way you can do that is you've got to look at the philosophers that came up with these these worldviews that that why is it that we're sitting here today in this materialistic mechanical mindset and it's sort of like it i i've it's similar to cleaning out a wound you know you know you uh you clean it, you swab it, and then you put the disinfectant on there, and you you gotta clean the whole thing out. You gotta get to the bottom of it, and and somebody had to do it, and unfortunately, it's me. Uh, there are other people <laughs> have tried it. I mean, I would I would like to write a happy-go-lucky book like the Celestine Prophecy, or or um, you know, all, all sorts of other New Age books that are are great. But but my mission is is I'm the I'm the one that that goes to the bottom of it and you may agree or disagree but there it is there's the here's here's an argument in favor of a mind-centered uh, uh, united worldview that is still scientific and rational if you want to hear the story the argument then the collapse of materialism it th there it is and I try to make it readable and uh, approachable and challenge some of our basic assumptions and so Absolutely. So. Okay. All right. Now, I'd like to ask you, you know, following on from what we've been talking about, 
A lot of, well, I would say virtually all physicists believe in the Big Bang. What's your view about the Big Bang? See, I, I think the Big Bang, and I'm extremely radical on this, so here it comes. I think the Big Bang is a metaphor, is a materialistic metaphor for creation. I don't think the world right. began with the Big Bang. I think it's, it's, it's a model of creation. And I get, it's, it's a theory that has, it, it's going to take a while, but it's a theory that is fundamentally flawed on so many levels that, but we don't, but, but because we sort of defer to the cosmologists and the Nobel Prize winners and we read, we, we watch the cosmos on TV and we hear all these people pontificate about the Big Bang, it, it's not, it's, it's an incredibly flawed theory. It's, it's just a model and it's, again, so the short answer is I don't think the world began with the Big Bang. It, if it did, it began, it began with a Big Bang of energy that originated inside of us, inside of the oh. one mind. I think it was an explosion of creativity. It was not an explosion of matter. So that's, so I, I sort of switch perspectives on it. So that's, I mean, I could, I could give you the details, but I saw the short, but the short answer is I don't think the Big Bang happened. <laughs> you don't think, actually, funnily enough, I've not, I've not given it that much thought um, in the past to actually, I, I've always thought that, like yourself, I have actually always thought that the theory was slightly flawed, but I wasn't entirely sure what the alternative would be. So that's definitely, you know, something that I'll be reading about in, in the book. Um, okay, so do you believe that the world is a dream? Yes. Yes, I think that's the answer. I think the answer is, in fact, that's the answer to the Big Bang. The Just, just to combine the two ideas there, one of the fundamental assumptions of the Big Bang, or one of the assumptions that, that is covered up, or not discussed to put it nicer, is where out of the, where where did all this stuff come from? How did something right. come from nothing? And when you when you look at the Big Bang, it's an awfully lot of something coming from nothing, because we have to fill this universe with uh, something with ten to let's say a hundred million galaxies, each with a hundred million stars. How did all this stuff come from nothing? And they, there is no answer to that question. There is no answer to the question. We know that something can come from nothing in one way. We have un indisputable proof that when we hallucinate, that hallucinations, we, we conjure up an imaginary world. Same thing in our dreams at night. We know that something can come from nothing through the power of the dreaming mind. Mm -hmm. And this is something that uh, is that is in the Vedanta? It is something that's buried in a lot of literature out there. But I say let's stop. Let's stop ignoring this. We know that something can come from nothing through the dreaming mind. And if we replace, if we go to the United Mind model, which is where I'm at, then we have a basis for a United Dream, which would be the dream of God, which which explains everything we need to explain. It explains the order, it explains how something came from nothing, it explains three dimensions, it explains the paranormal, it explains spirituality. The fact that it explains everything, I think, means that there's, there might, that, that there's some value to it. 
the fact that people don't want the world to be a dream, that's something to me, Sunita, I think that the the answer here is that there's this whole thing about rising in consciousness. I mean, there's a whole school of thought. You rise in consciousness from thinking that, you know, that you're the only one, that you have friends, a community. You think uh, by the state, the city, then globally, and then there's transcendent mind. As we actually, when we go up that ladder, I think you start realizing that, hey, this makes more and more sense. So, so yes, the answer, the answer is yes. I believe that the world is a great dream. And I think that answers, that is what I think we need. I think we need a dream science. I, 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 uh, I told you before I'm radical, but the, the uh, George Berkeley, who they named Berkeley University after, said exactly the same thing yeah. In, yeah. The, in the 18th century. He said, the world is a dream in the mind of God. He didn't use those words, but that's what he, that's what he said. And he was dismissed, but no one's been able to prove Berkeley wrong either. And so I just think that whole notion needs to be updated. Okay, so I just I want to ask you then, I, and I actually agree with what you're saying. Um, if the world is a dream, um, what exactly does that mean? I mean, I, I, know, I know what you're saying, if that makes sense, but I think that's because I have an interest in this field, naturally. But the world being a dream, I mean, does that mean that actually we, we are illusions and we don't really exist? Um, does it mean that we can wish it away? What exactly does it mean, the world being a dream? Well, this is, this is the, there's a couple, I, I'm going to call them little breakthroughs, because I do think that a common um, response to the statement that the world is a dream is, oh, you mean it's all an illusion, it's all nothing, we can wish it away, you know, I'll, I'll, just like you're saying, those are legitimate um, issues. But the big, the biggest flaw with that point of view is that our bodies are also illusions. We are spirits in a spiritual world. Therefore, the world is real to us. That is the most... Now, I call this the real dream worldview. This is what I'm calling it. It's the real dream worldview. Remember um, Pierre uh, Tell Chardin, the author of The Phenomena of Man, who came, who's had that statement in his book that we are not uh, physical beings having a spiritual experience. We're spiritual people having a physical experience. We, we are spirits, but we live in a spiritual world. And the same notion, ironically and I quote that I have this excerpt in the book, is in the, the famous book Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. Exactly the same thing he said in that book. He's, uh, the, Siddhartha's friend, I think his name was Govinda, said, are you telling me, Siddhartha, that all, all around us is only illusion and it's nothing? And Siddhartha says, that doesn't bother me because it would mean I'm illusion as well and it's as, it's as real to me as a physical world would be to a physical party. We want to be physical creatures. That's what we're dreaming for. And so, so it's, it's a matter of coming to understand this. Nothing changes except one big thing. The world is within our control because we are, we, are, we are at the controls, but we don't dream alone. We are part of humanity. We're part of a united mind, and our goal is very simple. 
our goal is to unite in the physical world, which what is united at the spiritual level. Put differently, we have to have peace. Very simple. Morality. These are not original concepts. All I'm doing is giving a metaphysical foundation for everything that we've learned throughout throughout our lives. Okay. All right. So, do you think, Philip, that the world, how we're living at the moment, because we look around and you know we we see so much of the world um, is sleeping, metaphorically speaking. Right. Do you think that the world is ready for this concept? Well. I think that the the answer. I think we need to to, to switch it around. Well, let, let me answer that first. I think that the answer is that yes, I think the world is is ready for this concept because if it's not this generation, it will be the next generation. If this is correct, and I think this everything points in this direction, and frankly, I've put all my chips on this number on the table, by the way, because um, I've lived my life according to this approach, that the, the mind of God is waiting for people to, uh, to appreciate and realize the truth that, that we are one thing. So this is not something where we're, it's going to be up for a vote. This is like a steadily rising reality that is right. that that will that will come up within us. And frankly, um, I didn't I didn't say this, but but the power and I don't know the answer to this one. But to me, the power of the mind is in uniting the mind. We can't change the world alone. You can't wish it away individually because we're part of the whole. We're, we're the, an analogy here is think of a long boat where there's a billion people on the long boat. There's one heck of a long boat and everyone's rowing. Right now, you're exactly right. We are just rowing all over the place. We're going in circles. But if the notion that we are the, the dreaming mind of God, if that is accepted as true in the same way as the law of gravity, just imagine what yeah. we can do. This this is where I'm at. This is why I'm, I'm so... Uh, critical of modern science because they're disrupting the navigation system. <laughs> they're yeah. they they are misdirecting us as a as a society, a, as a culture, yeah. because they have us going in the wrong direction. It's sort of like yeah. you know, jump out of the plane, pick a parachute, and all of us we 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 by second instinct we just sort of take the parachute of science because we think they're so smart. We just put it on and we jump out the plane. Well, you only have one sh one shot at this. It's not as if, you know, maybe reincarnation is true, and I hope it's true, but I'd rather not put my bets on being reincarnated again or an afterlife or something. I, I know right now here, we are sitting here, we have a, sh a chance to get this right. Let's examine these fundamental fundamental ideas and let's put this longboat headed in the right direction, and it's going to take one it's going to take a long time. But it is a shining goal at the end of that road, and we know exactly where to go. We know where to go. And so, um, so I think there's a lot of power, power in this. Absolutely. Yeah, I was just going to say that, actually, powerful stuff. Um, so God exists, in your opinion? 
Oh yeah, yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, that's that's where that's where this whole thing comes comes out. I mean, the uniting of science and spirituality. I mean, one of the one of the things that people forget about, and this this goes to the Big Bang again in modern science, in that if you truly believe in the Big Bang, you have to be an atheist. You have to be an atheist because you're 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 saying that the world is just an impersonal place filled with, with particles and there's no room for spirit and spirit can't touch particles. Um, I, I know um, in my heart that there's more to the world than floating random impersonal particles. And I didn't set out, I was raised Catholic, but I didn't set out to prove or disprove the existence of God. Uh, I actually think that much of orthodox religion is archaic it is outdated it is somewhat mythical but they were telling a story at that time in the way they understood the world and we need yeah. to update the story we need to update yeah, the story I, I would agree with that completely actually because we i think we need to remember that when the texts were written and you know what the mindset of the of humanity was at that point as well Right. Um, and you're quite right, we've moved on, we've moved on since then, and, you know, a lot of the messages I find also are, are metaphoric, uh, and, and they're taken literally, which is right. obviously quite a big issue, because, again, you're misguided, you know, it's not the, um, the, the, the true path that you're actually following, if that makes sense. Right, right. You know, so, and so, Philip, I want to ask you, what does your book say about um, heaven? Is heaven real? Well, the ultimate goal is to is to um, build heaven on earth and and that's where when I mentioned the longboat just imagine if this is right and just you know why I mean and frankly and uh, I would be happy to debate anybody with over what's more probable that what I'm talking about here is right or whether the multiverse really exists sure. you know I mean I or string theory I mean there's so many bizarre theories of science that there's no proof for them. There's no, and there's no, <laughs> there's no test to even prove them true or not. But there is a test to know whether we can build a heaven on earth, and that test is we ingrain the unity of humanity in our lives, in the way we deal with people, in the way we deal with the environment, the way with countries, nationalities deal with each other. We ingrain that. We set the navigation system for our dreams in one goal and that is an ever improving place and if this is the goal here is to fulfill our highest dream here on earth and that highest dream is called heaven now whether people are going to be flying around or or whatever I don't know but the the sky is literally the limit and and I, I just think that um, that's what the that's what Jesus Christ meant and I'm not I'm not a practicing Christian but I think that that's what these guys are really talking about most of them are saying I mean in, in the um, in the Quran the, the uh, you know Muhammad reciting the the Word of God he says something like uh, you know the kingdom of heaven is laid out upon the earth but most people don't realize it or maybe I don't know if that was in the Quran or, or 
or one of the uh, Gospels. But in any event, the point is, is that it's right in front of us. We just haven't put ourselves into realizing that dream. So remember, I am a complete idealist. I'm a radical idealist, but I'm also rational. And I, I think that it's, it's important to build these steps in, in a logical, rational way. Uh, my book has 800 uh, endnotes, which, wow. which, which is a lot. But you know, I am a lawyer, and I'd like to document what I, you know, what I say. These, these are not just. There's a lot of original stuff in there, but, but I, I back up everything I'm saying, and I like to tell a reader compare this little theory with something that Stephen Hawking just wrote about how heaven doesn't exist. Or about or or Richard Dawkins, where he says God doesn't exist. You know, just compare the logic and and figure out which one you want to go with. Now, those guys have a lot of credentials, but at the end of the day, are they right? And and you want to live your life. You want to pick the parachute the parachute they made when you jump out of that plane, or do you want to give a little bit more thought and maybe take a little more optimistic spin on things? Absolutely, absolutely. And I've often thought that, actually, but with the names that you've mentioned, I mean, life would be um, almost pointless, wouldn't it, really, right, Philip? You right. know, if there was... you, I, I don't know, I think there are most people out there, you know, when they when they look, get, move outside of... All tongue-twisted today, I think. <laughs> um, yeah, all tongue-twisted, not sure why. But, yeah, they're, you know, when they move out of their immediate reality, so like you said, going to work and, and all of these things... Um, yeah, I think most of us, if not all of us, have this deep kind of inner yearning um, that eventually is either kind of tugging away at us and we're ignoring it, um, and if or if we can't see it, eventually it does kind of come to life. And I sometimes find that with like um, you know the the, the the theories and the, the names of the sort of um, staunch sort of materialistic scientists that you've talked about, um, it life would be pretty pointless right right right. Um, no purpose to live really right right well one of the things and i have this this uh, article that i'm just about done with it's it's pretty short um it's called it's called the ultimate question and and this this relates to healing and a bunch of other things but in some ways the ultimate question is whether the world controls us or whether we control the world and that is really the and that's really uh, the focus of or my focus on materialism because materialism is a world with, is a worldview in which the outer controls the inner the body ages and dies without any role of spirit or energy the the nation's war the environment changes without any control we don't have any control over it and and the the switch we need to make is when you think about it, it's a switch of maturity. It's a switch of responsibility. It's not just yeah, it's a big metaphysical heavy duty topic, but it's also taking responsibility. Now, in with regard, the thing that really amazes me about our modern scientific worldview is that they have absolutely no, <laughs> they have very little proof, and in fact, they don't have any proof that the, a mechanical world really exists, yet sure. they treat it as if it's mathematically certain. It's as, it's, yeah. it's as if, it's as if, this is why, this is the Big Bang thing. Well, the, the world must, must have come from a big, a big Bang, therefore it did. Our bodies must 
uh, age and deteriorate and 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 um, get ill outside of our control. Therefore, they do, and we treat it as as unalterable truth, as if it's mathematically certain when the whole area is up in the air. I mean, I know you've had a lot of guests on this show talk about energy healing and and spirit transformation and all these things and the placebo effect, uh, faith healing, uh, and it's it's like time out. You don't really know that this is true, so why in the heck are you living your life as if it's mathematically certain? At, at least experiment a little bit with whether, yeah. you know, that's that's where I'm at with that. Absolutely. I, I have to say I completely agree. I mean, there are so many anomalies, Philip, which right. obviously you know about, um, and how science can actually go on continuing the way that it does, in the you know, materialistically in the way that it does. Um, I, I actually find quite amusing because there are so many anomalies. Like when right. I did the parapsychology course, um, a lot of the near-death experiences, for example, there are just way too many that have been documented um, that have a lot of sort of similarity. And yes, of course, you know, there are, I believe, always going to be ones that perhaps aren't true or, you know, we're always going to have that element of, you know, well, somebody's making it up or, or whatever it is. But I don't think that necessarily, um, you know, kind of gets rid of the, the, the truth that some of these may well and probably are actually real. Right, right, right. And yeah. it's sort of like, why should we, and this is, when you think about it, we are really uh, living right now, those of us in this field, and I would call it the open-minded field for, for the sake of calling it something else, or instead of calling it something else, because uh, I'm not really sure what 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 we would call ourselves. Um, but the there, it's sort of like we are the uh, the freak show in a circus. I mean, we or, or we're put up to a, a, a higher standard. You know, we're out here with with these incredible uh, standards to prove the paranormal, the parapsychology is true. And even when you have people like Dean Radin, who I know you've had in your show. Uh, and I've had him on my show as well. Uh, you know, when you have, when he, they do these experiments, like, or Rupert Sheldrake, you know, they do the experiments using all the methodologies of science, proving that there's a parapsychological effect or a paranormal effect, mind over matter, uh, clairvoyance, or whatever it is. And it's ignored because, well, that's, that's parapsychology. And meanwhile, within the, the big tent, the big circus tent, we have these scientists sort of pontificating about gravity waves, the inflationary Big Bang, string theory, the multiverse, which don't have any proof at all. Uh, yeah. as, as it, but but and this is why <laughs> this is why we need a revolution. I mean, let's face it. I mean, I it's it's we need to take over. And I don't. And frankly, I don't. This is not a a. Uh, I don't. I don't want to make this into you know a uh, some kind of a radical take over the world kind of thing it's a, it's a it's a situation where i think a a more correct idea will overcome a less correct idea and the, the yeah. truth you know sherlock holmes uh i think uh, i think he said something like when all the when all the wrong uh, theories are are eliminated whatever remains however unusual is the truth and so so i think that it's really so in other in any event, when you take my perspective on things or the, or the real dream perspective, things just start making more sense. Like afterlife, all this stuff is explainable. It's like, okay, 
it's it's a it's a feature a reincarnation or um, obviously clairvoyance and precognitive dreams and I don't know what what other topics you talk about in your class but it all of a sudden oh so that's why um, I had this feeling that a friend of mine was in a car crash exactly yeah. you know exactly yeah it's there's just too much out there to right. you know that, that that we really should be looking at more closely but it's been brilliant having you um, on the show, Philip. Uh, your book, of course, The Collapse of Materialism, is going to be out within the next few weeks. Is that right? Yes, yes. It's being published by the by uh, Rainbow Ridge, and Excellent. it should be out any any week now, if not any day now. So we're just okay. about just about ready. Okay, and is that going to be available worldwide? Is it? It'll be available worldwide, of course, on Amazon. Um, and I might I might add that. Uh, I, ha I have my own radio show, Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, and I do that under a pen name, which is Philip Miraton. Uh, but, okay. uh, but so I have a number of ways I'm trying to open minds and, and sort of expose people to uh, different ways of looking at things. Fantastic, and good luck with your brilliant mission. Thank you. Um, I'm sure it's going to be absolutely brilliant. Um, and guys, you know, you must keep your eyes open for a collapse of materialism because I have had the, um, I have had the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The fortune. I'm very fortunate, I should say, <laughs> to have an advanced kind of copy of this book, and it's absolutely brilliant. So you do need to get your hands on a copy. Now we are almost at the end of the interview. So for anybody who has just joined us, you can listen to uh, this show again on the replay um, page, which is uh, going to be available on the UntangledFM.com website. Um, Philip, if people do want to learn more about you, do you have a website? Yes, yes, the, and the website is thecollapseofmaterialism.com, and I blog, and I put my radio shelves on there, and uh, and if you put in Miraton, M-E-R-E-T-O-N, or you put in Camella, uh, there'll be all sorts of articles out there I have on, on similar topics. Brilliant. So, okay, so. brilliant. And finally, thank you so much for taking the time out to be here with us today. It's been a great interview. Well, thanks a lot for having me. It's been, it's been great talking with you. So I hope that gives a flavor of what I think has to happen. I think that materialism is on the way out the door. Who knows how long it's going to take, but I think the signs of its ending are all around us, and it's simply a function of us coming to realize that it does not offer a unified way to explain the world. There's too many flaws, there's too many assumptions, there's too many things that we know are simply not true. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Meriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com.